0: Welcome to the Ship Gold, Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's Precious Metals News. It's Friday, March 26th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, gold is held above $1,700 an ounce after pushing above that key level in the wake of last week's Fed meeting, but the yellow metal had a tough day yesterday and saw some selling thanks to dollar strength and another nudge up in long-term treasury yields. And of course, this always creates headwinds for both gold and silver. Speaking of silver, it actually is, uh seen even more selling pressure. It's been down around $25 an ounce and fell even lower than that, hitting a two-month low yesterday day. Meanwhile, the dollar index hit a four-month high on Thursday. Now, this really it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about the number of dollars being created by the Federal Reserve. But this is basically a case of the healthiest horse in the glue factory. There's a big difference between U.S. bond rates and those of many other countries, particularly Europe right now, as in they are significantly higher here. This is making U.S. Treasuries a bit more attractive to investors, and it's inviting capital flows into the dollar, particularly from the euro, thus your dollar strength. Even so, there apparently isn't a huge demand for U.S. bonds in general because prices keep dropping and yields keep going up. The U.S. Treasury 10-year yield was at 1.623% on Wednesday, and it closed at one633 yesterday. Last Friday, it actually climbed as high as 1.732%. The general trend on U.S. Treasuries has been up and up and up. You know, Yields were just above 1.4% at the beginning of March. Now, what's propping up the prices of European bonds? Remember how the ECB ramped up its bond buying earlier this month along with the Reserve Bank of Australia? That's what's propping it up. Of course, the Fed is propping up the U.S. bond market as well. It's just not propping it up to the same extent as the European Central Bank. So the question remains, how long will the Fed just sit back and let the long end of the yield curve keep going up? Because it's going to keep going up if the central bank doesn't intervene. There are many more bonds to be sold to finance these Biden spending spree. I read earlier this week that the administration is about to unveil a $3 trillion infrastructure bill. I still think the Fed is going to have to increase QE in the not-too-distant future. Somebody has to buy up all of these bonds. And speaking of selling bonds, the U.S. Treasury Department held an auction on Thursday... Didn't go particularly well the treasury holds uh, sold 62 billion worth of seven-year notes at an auction high yield of 1.3 percent that was more than 10 basis points higher than the previous auction in February but even with the higher yield there was no notable increase in demand the bid to cover ratio was 2.23 this is a mathematical calculation it's the value of the bids received divided by the value of those bids accepted it, it's All you need to know is this is a low number, and that low number tells you that demand was low. It was off the six auction average of 2.28 and was actually one of the worst on record. So in other words, the U.S. is selling a bajillion bonds, and there isn't demand for a bajillion bonds. Yields are going up. Bond prices are going down. This is less than ideal, and it's why I keep saying that bigger QE is in the future. Of course, quantitative easing means more money printing, and that means more inflation. And that's another reason we're seeing a spike on the long end of the yield curve. It reflects investor expectations of more inflation. So the Fed is going to deal with this by creating, yes, even more inflation. Meanwhile, the Fed people are still running around telling us not to worry about higher inflation and not to expect any kind of monetary tightening in the near future. They want us to know that their expansive support for the economy will stay in place until a quickening recovery has reached deep into society and is effectively complete. That's as Reuters put it. In an interview with, the, uh, with National Public Radio's Morning Edition program on Thursday, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said that even with the economy rebounding faster than expected, any change in monetary policy would happen very, very gradually over time and with great transparency when the economy has all but fully recovered. Fed Vice Chair Richard Clarita did a speech for the Institute of International Finance, and he said the central bank will stay in the game until the recovery is, quote, well and truly complete. The phrase of the week for uh, Fed Governor Leo Bernard was, resolute patience. San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly said that the central bank would show at least a healthy dose of patience. Quote, we're not going to take this punch bowl away. Daily said. No, no, they aren't, because they know the party will come to a screeching halt if they do, and by screeching halt, I mean the stock market will crash and probably the economy right along with it. There's really nothing new here. The Fed is desperate to convince everybody that the easy money spigot will continue flowing. The problem is a lot of people still don't buy it. They see the inflation train coming down the tracks, and they expect the Fed to do what the Fed has always done. Raise rates, shrink the balance sheet, tighten monetary policy, and as I've said over and over again, they can't do it. Peter Schiff did a good podcast where he discussed inflation this week that you should definitely check out. He also rips on Paul Krugman, which is always fun. You know, Krugman is running around saying, I told you so, about the lack of big price increases with all of the QE that happened after the 08 financial crisis. And he claims that those of us who are worried about inflation today are going to be wrong yet again. Now, Peter explains why Krugman was right about price increases back then, but for the wrong reasons. I'll link to that podcast and a summary of it that I wrote over on the show notes page. I bring this up because Peter makes a really good point about the Fed's apparent inflation fighting strategy. You know, Jerome Powell has been saying that any price increases we see this year will be transitory. But how will they know? I mean, when they finally figure out that, nope, this isn't transitory, how high will inflation be? 5%, 6% higher than that? When Powell and Company does finally realize inflation is out of control, it will be too late. The only way to put out the inflationary fire would be a massive increase in interest rates and a severe tightening of monetary policy. As Peter put it, the Fed would have to go Volcker on interest rates. The economy would collapse. You know, it can't raise rates to that extent with all of the debt in the economy. Now, you do remember Paul Volcker, right? He let rates rise to 20% in 1980 to rein in the surging inflation that we saw in the 70s. Can you imagine 20% interest rates today with the huge piles of debt in the economy? It simply can't happen. I mean, the economy went all wobbly when the Fed pushed rates to 2.5% back in December 2018. Remember that? The stock market crashed. And what did the Fed do? It went right back to rate cuts and quantitative easing. A lot of people forget about the fact that the Fed was actually back to emergency monetary policy a year before the pandemic even started. But see, that's the playbook. Every time the economy gets into trouble, governments and central banks react the same way. They cut interest rates and they loosen monetary policy to stimulate borrowing and spending. Uh, In other words, uh, get people to go into debt. The idea is that the stimulus will increase demand and pull the economy out of trouble. But there is, of course, a dark side to this policy, the debt. And the debt is slowly poisoning the economy. We've clearly seen them operating out of this playbook during the coronavirus crisis. The Fed immediately cut rates to zero, and it launched massive quantitative easing. Meanwhile, the U.S. government has passed three rounds of stimulus spending, totaling some $5 trillion, with apparently even more spending coming down the pike. The U.S. debt has ballooned to over $28 trillion. It's increased $5 trillion in just 18 months. So, debt borrowing spending. We tend to focus on the short-term impacts of this monetary policy, but as economist Daniel Lacalle explained in an article we published over at shiftgold.com news, this debt-driven cure is making the underlying economy sicker. It's poisoning the economy over time. Each subsequent foray into borrowing and spending erodes the economy a little bit further and requires even more debt. To fix each subsequent downturn, this is creating an ever downward spiral. In a nutshell, promoting a debt driven economy leads to more frequent crises, shorter economic cycles, and abrupt recessions, and we've seen this over time. You can actually see it really clearly if you look at the interest rates through each of the cycles that we go through in the economy. Go back to October 1987 when the stock market crashed. The following year, inflation rose above 5%, prompting then-Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan to raise interest rates above 9% in early 1989. This led to a mild recession in the early 1990s. Greenspan pushed rates below 3% in late 1992 to deal with that, and then began to slowly nudge them back up again in ninety four. But the Fed never got rates anywhere near the pre-recession level. With the economy plugging along, rates actually peaked at 6% in 1995. From there, Greenspan held rates in the 5 to 6% range through 2001. Then in response to the dot-com bubble popping, Greenspan slashed rates, and eventually they dropped all the way to 1% in June of 2003, and this set the stage for the 2008 financial crisis. Now leading up to that crash, rates moved to a high of 5.25%, and then after the crash, they went to the zero and stayed there for years. And we've already talked about their trajectory of interest rates more recently. So you see the cycle. With every crash, rates have to go lower to fix the problem, and in the recovery, rates never get as high as they were before the crash. Well, as with all cycles that are going downward, at some point you hit the bottom, right? I want to try out an analogy for you. It's a sports analogy, and I think it illustrates what's been going on in the economy. Now, I'm a big football fan, love the NFL. I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, And no, I'm not a Tom Brady bandwagoner. I've been a Bucs fan since 1977. So since the beginning of the Bucs' existence, yes, that is a lot of painful football I've endured. So for those of you who don't follow the NFL at all, the Bucs won the Super Bowl this year. Now they're trying to keep the team together to make another run next season with Tom Brady. Now, this is easier said than done because the NFL operates under a salary cap system. In effect, the total amount of money a team pays all of its players has to stay below a league-mandated cap number. It's basically an accounting game. Now, the Buccaneers had a bunch of free agents that they had to re-sign this year, and in order to do that, they're pulling out every accounting trick in the book. Now, they've been able to re-sign just about everybody by pushing a lot of these salaries into the future and keeping the cap number for next year lower than it would have been. For instance, they re-signed linebacker Levante David, and they stuck three voidable years on the end of his contract. So they gave him a five-year contract, but they really only plan on him being here for two it allows them to spread this salary over five years instead of just two. But when he's gone, they're still going to be counting a chunk of his salary on the cap. That could create problems down the road. You know, if you have a whole bunch of players and you're still counting money toward the cap Uh, For those guys who aren't even playing anymore, that's less money for players who are actually on the field. Now you can do this for a while, but eventually it catches up. At some point in the future, the Bucks will probably suck because they have to pay the piper. They're just pushing that day of reckoning into the future, and this is exactly what the Fed and the U.S. government are doing. All of this borrowing and spending, money printing today, it will juice the economy. It's going to make things look good in the next year or so. But at some point, the gig is up. At some point, you have to pay the piper. You can only push things into the future for so long. You can only kick the can down the road so far until you run out of road. The question then becomes, are you ready for this to happen? A shift gold precious metal specialist can help you prepare. They can help you look at your portfolio and figure out how precious metals can help preserve your wealth and even increase your wealth in the economy that lies ahead. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160 or you can shoot them an email at info at shiftgold.com. So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast on iTunes. Uh, We're on Stitcher. We're on Google. Uh, You can sign up on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links to all of this stuff on the show notes page. I appreciate you so much listening to the show, and I will talk to you next time.